everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You're listening to episode number 14. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on July 22, 2018. So yes, this week you get two episodes from me because I skipped last weekend and I feel bad. So first off, uh, update on my fiction. On this podcast, you are listening to Bionic Bug, which is book one of the Laura Kingsley series. As you know, book two, Project Gecko, is currently with my editor. Um, But what you don't know is that I have started the outline of book three, Genomic Data, and this has been a subject of great interest of mine over this podcast and and prior to that. Um, And this will carry on the theme about DNA and genomic data. But even more exciting, this week I came up with the title and draft cover for book four. It will be called Black Box and will address artificial intelligence and machine learning. I'll provide a sneak free preview of the cover in the show notes, so make sure you check it out. It will be the only place I reveal this for now. So let's talk tech. Headlines for this week. Um, First headline, potential DNA damage from CRISPR has been seriously underestimated study finds. This came out on July 16 at statnews.com. It's a very sobering article about a new gene editing technique that promises to transform the field of synthetic biology, cure diseases, correct genetic errors, and produce new products that will improve human life. So what is CRISPR? It's an acronym for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeat. It refers to a gene editing technique that emerged in 2012, and it allows researchers to quickly and cheaply change the DNA of any living organism. This technique uses the Cas9 enzyme and an RNA molecule matching the target DNA sequence identified for editing. So the RNA guides the Cas9 to the correct target sequence in the genome where it cuts the DNA. After the DNA is cut, it is repaired by the cell, causing the gene sequence to be disrupted or modified. So this article talks about a recent study that suggests that making such cuts in DNA could cause more havoc than previously thought. So um, there have been discussions about unintended um, cuts or, you know, the wrong targeting. Um, But this study identifies DNA damage, including deletions of thousands of DNA bases, even at spots far from the edit, so where the edit was actually supposed to take place. Some of these deletions have been shown to silence genes, so turn them off, um, and even turn on genes that should be silent, and these could even include cancer-causing genes. Geneticist Alan Bradley of England's Wellcome Sanger Institute, he led the study, and he's warning of DNA chaos as a result of using CRISPR. This reminds me of Michael Crichton's Dr. Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, warning us about playing God with nature, and so I look forward to hearing more about this. Since I just revealed the title of my fourth novel in the Lara Kingsley series, it's only fitting that I shift gears to look at artificial intelligence, which is in the news constantly. But this is a very interesting article. Microsoft calls for regulation of facial recognition, saying it's too risky to leave tech, the tech industry alone. This came out on July 13 in the Washington Post. 
Think about that for a second. We have a major corporation calling for government regulation on the use of artificial intelligence for facial recognition. This is extraordinary, I think. Um, so you may not have heard about this, but China is increasingly using facial recognition technology to crack down on crime and possibly other things. There are an estimated 170 million CCTV cameras in China. And in April uh, 2018, a man was arrested for economic crimes in China while attending a concert. He was identified by cameras at the ticket booth equipped with facial recognition technology. And so he was actually arrested while he was sitting there in the crowd. Also very troubling development in February 2018, the Chinese police introduced new sunglasses equipped with facial recognition technology to identify criminals. Sound like Big Brother and George Orwell's 1984? Well, it had a huge impact on me, and so in Project Gecko, I introduced this type of glasses, and Detective Sanchez is participating in a pilot program to see how they might be used at the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department. You're going to have to read Project Gecko to find out how that went. Microsoft thinks this type of technology should have greater public scrutiny and oversight. Um, there are companies like Amazon selling facial technology facial recognition technology to law enforcement. Again, this is very similar to what's happening in China. Um, this is kind of happening under our nose that I think we need to pay attention. Um, this is a big deal. And this leads to my final headline, how artificial intelligence will reshape the global order. This came out on July 10 in Foreign Affairs. It's an academic piece, but I highly recommend. So after the Cold War, there were scholars that pr pronounced the end of history with the triumph of the liberal democracy as the form of government allowing for the most economic prosperity. But AI is reshaping our world rapidly by allowing governments to monitor, understand, and control their citizens more closely than ever before. AI could offer authoritarian countries a plausible alternative to liberal democracy, the first since the end of the Cold War. So allowing for economic prosperity while at the same time controlling the population. And we're all already seeing evidence of this in China. So I encourage you to read that if you're interested. Let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week, Lara chases after Detective Sanchez and finds him in his office with her arch nemesis, Commander Jameson. After a heated exchange between the three of them, Lara gets cuffed and spends the night in jail. Let's find out what happens next. Chapter 14, The Journal. Despite a steamy hot shower, Lara couldn't completely rinse away the stench of jail. Some things required more time to forget. The tantalizing smell of fresh coffee wafted through the floorboards of her apartment, increasing her desperation for her morning caffeine fix. Wearing a sweatshirt, yoga pants, and her favorite bunny slippers, she shuffled down the wooden stairs from her second floor apartment to her office, the steps creaking. When she caught up with Vic, she planned to walk over to Sully's funeral, which would take place a short distance away from Georgetown's Oak Hill Cemetery. Her back aching, she grasped the railing for extra support. After the detective allowed her to use the phone, she'd spent most of the night in jail on a hard cot. Lara had made her one call to Vic, who apologized profusely for not owning a car during her time of need, but promised to do his best to get her out. She hadn't realized that his best would mean calling the last man on the planet she'd want to see and asking him for help. 
Being bailed, bailed out of jail by her ex-boyfriend only added to her humiliation. At the bottom of the stairs, Lara stopped short. The front door of the townhouse was cracked open. That's strange. The district was home to a large homeless population and several regulars lived in the Georgetown area on side streets. Lara did what she could to help them out, giving them food and water. She preferred not to give them money, just in case it would go to support some kind of addiction like drugs or a gambling habit. One evening, she came home to a gross-smelling man lurking in the front hallway, pulled her gun, and nearly shot him dead. Ever since, her landlord and Vic had been pretty good about closing the door to avoid unwanted strangers in the building. Lara peeked outside, but there was no one in sight. As she closed the door, the sight of the empty spot where her motorcycle usually parked made her stomach lurch. The drama of the previous day came rushing back. Gah! Lara hit herself in the forehead. I forgot about my bike. By now, she was certain NSA security guards would be all over the abandoned motorcycle. Hopefully, it's still there. Lara walked into her office to find Vic hunched over the counter, clutching a cup of coffee. He'd picked up warm croissants from the grind coffee shop, his way of softening her up before he laid on something really serious. Silently, he poured her a cup of coffee and slid the mug and a plate with a chocolate croissant in her direction. She grabbed the mug, took a generous bite of the pastry, and washed it down with a gulp of coffee. Thanks. Jail food is so bland, and I think that coffee is made of with recycled grounds. She thought that might bring a smile to his face. Nope. Nothing. Vic looked like he was going to burst. Laura, I was so worried about you. Yesterday morning, I watched you through the window as you completely freaked out, and then you just sped away on your motorcycle like a crazy woman. You were gone for hours. I didn't even get one text. And when I hear from you, you're calling me from jail. Jail! He threw his hands in the air in a what-the-hell motion. Lara placed a hand on her chest and squared her shoulders. I would have texted you or called, but everything happened so fast. He shook his head with displeasure. I cannot believe you would put yourself in harm's way when you could have taken me with you. I thought we were a team. Vic stared sulkily down at the floor. Lara ignored his, the accusation. Vic tended to forget she'd deployed to Afghanistan and was trained in hand-to-hand combat. She could manage just fine on her own and didn't like to be coddled. Vic grasped his coffee tightly and looked away. He opened his mouth, then closed it again. They stood in silence for several minutes. Ah, uh, there's something, he hesitated as he avoided contact. He took a deep breath. There's something else I need to talk to you about. I figured as much, Lara said, pointing to the plate with crumbs on it. What's wrong? Well, for one, there's no money in the Kingsley investigation expense account. I had no car and no money to get you out. Sully's gone. I couldn't call my uncle without facing a long interrogation. I didn't know who else. Lara's face fell. She wanted to be straight with Vic about her financial status, but there had never been a good time to tell him she was broke. Vic gave her a miserable look. That's why I had to call him last night. Otherwise, I never would have. I'm so sorry, Vic. I, should have put, I shouldn't have put you in this situation. I should have told you about my money problem sooner. A rush of guilt washed over her. Vic frowned. At least now I know why my paycheck bounced. I'm not able to pay my rent and my roommate has asked me to leave by the weekend. The blood drained from her face. Oh, Vic, I never meant, she thought for a few minutes. You should definitely move into the office until we can figure something out. Hopefully we won't lose this place too. Vic gave her a half smile. 
pointing to the suitcases in the corner. I didn't really have any other options, Lara smirked. Vic wrinkled his forehead. I don't understand. I thought things were going well for you. We just closed that big case and the Langsons will be a great job. Lara looked away as Vic tilted his head at her, like he had just solved the world's most difficult riddle. She didn't say a word. Vic continued, The baseball game, you said they were going to reschedule. I didn't know how to tell you. She looked at him in the eyes. I lied. I'm really sorry. I just didn't want you to worry. That last case paid for all the past due bills stacked up from several months of me wallowing in self-pity. Even if the Langstons had signed the contract, it wouldn't have mattered. Sully's dead, and I need to do this for him. I liked Sully, but why are you sacrificing your livelihood for the dead? I'm not sure Sully would be happy about this. The police and the FBI are both investigating the case. Shouldn't you focus on getting a new client, one that pays? He took a sip of his coffee and shook his head. Vic. Sully floated Kingsley investigations for several months. If it hadn't been for Sully, you and I would no longer have our jobs. And I still owe him money. She paused. The pain of his absence sliced through her heart. She swallowed hard, holding back the tears. Owed. He's one of the most loyal friends I've ever had. He's family. I couldn't live with myself if I didn't at least try to find his killer. Vic nodded. All right, then. I'm in, he said, as he shoved his hands into his pockets. A moment of silence passed before he spoke again. So are you going to tell me what happened yesterday? Lara nodded, relieved at the change of subject. Yeah, I think I'm being stopped. By whom? Vic's eyes widened. I don't know. Maybe Sully's killer? Yesterday, another one of those beetles landed on my shoulder with a small scroll attached to it. It was a note instructing me to go to the National Cryptologic Museum. Vic furrowed his brow, taking a sip of coffee. Well, now that's an interesting place to meet. I thought so, too. I decided to ignore the demand, and then I received a second message. This time, the stalker put a manila envelope containing pictures taken of me in Sully's safe room on the night of his murder, and several during my meeting with Rob. To get those pictures, the stalker had to be right by the coffee house and printed the photos directly from a car or something. Then he, or she, Vic added, managed to put the envelope in the mail slot before I even returned home. That's why I panicked. Vic scratched his forehead. Wait, you said there were pictures of you in Sully's safe room? Didn't you say the beetle you found there had a camera on its back? I did, but... Lara gave him a confused look. And you took it to your friend, the bug lady. Maybe she printed the photos. Come on, that's ridiculous. I'm sure the camera broadcasts the footage wirelessly. Besides, Maggie is my best friend, Lara said. So, you naturally went out to the museum. Vic shot her a look of disapproval. Lara took a gulp of her coffee. Yes, but I called Justine Marsh from DARPA for backup. Anyway, the stalker was a no-show. And when I came out of the museum, I found another note. And someone caught the fuel line on my bike. Holy crap, Lara! That's terrifying! Did you tell Detective Sanchez about your stalker? Vic asked. Lara shook her head. He knows someone caught my fuel line, but we didn't really get a chance to delve into that on the car ride. When we got back, the detective was more focused on helping his boss put me in my place. They wanted to know about the missing remote and the knowledge, my knowledge of its whereabouts. Oh... Vic said with a slight grimace. Yeah, and let's just say they were very displeased. Lara let the matter drop. Not wanting Vic to feel any worse about her night in jail, she redirected the conversation.
Did you get any clues from Sully's burner phone? Vic nodded and smiled, perking up for the first time that morning. In my distress, I forgot to tell you the good news. Good news? I need some of that right now. Spit it out! Lara finished the last sip of her coffee and set the mug down on the quartz countertop. I cracked the password on Sully's cell phone. Lara's eyes grew large. And? Did you find anything interesting? His face lit up. Oh, yes. The phone contained what appeared to be journal entries. Vic found Sully's journal. That's huge news! Lara clapped her hands together at once. What did you learn? Start with the last few entries. I want to know who Sully met during his last few days. Someone injected him with the toxin during that time frame. If Sully recorded all of his interactions, we'll be able to make a list of possible suspects. Okay, well, he wrote the last entry the day before he died. Lara frowned. She hoped to find out what Sully had been doing at DARPA when he hid his phone in the lockbox, presumably on the day he died. Did you know Sully had an assistant, Vic asked? Lara nodded. Yeah, he mentioned hiring someone a while back, but he never said anything about him. Ashton Grant, a recent graduate of American University, worked for Sully for several months. Sully met him the day before he died. Two months ago, Sully learned Ashton was trying to get involved with the Killerbot case. A guy named John Fiddler, a.k.a. Killerbot, was paying Sully huge sums of money, and his assistant wanted a bigger piece of the pie. Lara raised her eyebrow. Huge sums of money? Anyway, Sully was determined to keep him out of it for the kid's sake. Apparently, Ashton wouldn't listen because he needed the money desperately. So the kid broke into Sully's safe room and figured out how to get in contact with Killerbot, a.k.a. John Fiddler. Sully fired Ashton but remained concerned the kid was working for Fiddler behind his back and had ongoing access to his townhouse and safe room. Maybe that's why he emptied the safe room, and why Sully used weird hiding places, the toilet tank, weapons case, the lockbox. Sully thought his safe room was compromised. She thought for a moment and then added, but why not just change the code? Sully wrote in several entries he thought the kid was in over his head and was going to get himself into serious trouble. I believe he tried to keep an eye on him, maybe even help him. So instead, he just moved everything of importance out of the safe room. Did the journal say where? Lara asked. She recalled the videotape of Sully frantically trying to find a hiding spot for a cardboard box. I need to find that box Sully hid. Vic shook his head. We need to find Ashton, Lara said. He might have information on Sully's last days. She was pretty sure Rob must have known about Sully's assistant from the FBI surveillance operation. Another thing he didn't tell me. Vic scrolled through the journal entries. Two days before Sully died, he met with Fiddler. Lara crinkled her forehead. Killerbot hired Sully to do what exactly? This Fiddler character might know who killed Sully. Based on what I can infer from the journal entries, Fiddler hired Sully as a private investigator six months ago. He asked Sully to investigate the identities of Drone Man and Cybershop for him. Fiddler wanted to buy drone tech and needed to know if they were legit suppliers or not. Hmm... So, Rob posing as Drone Man and the NSA spy posing as Cybershop offered to sell him technology. Fiddler must have suspected something. Vic nodded. Apparently, Fiddler was extremely paranoid. He thought the FBI was coming after him. He agreed to pay several hundred thousand dollars for the drones and had ready put down a sizable deposit. Sully claimed Fiddler planned to use the drone show to lure Cybershop out into the open. 
Well, Fiddler was right about the FBI. Yeah, Justine mentioned that Fiddler paid $100,000 deposit. Can we track the money? Lara asked. I don't think so, but I'll see what I can find out. Lara stood up and stretched her neck. So walk me through the events leading up to the ball game. She grabbed her baseball glove and began punching into it while she paced the room. Even though Lara's hands were small, the kid's glove barely fit her anymore. But it didn't matter. It was her lucky charm. Okay, Fiddler challenged Drone Man and Cybershop to a tech demo at the baseball match. Sully was under the impression Cybershop supplied Drone Man with encryption scatter device to make them jammer-proof. Lara stopped in the middle of the room and rubbed her chin. Ah, yes. I learned about that recently. It's a device that enhances signal security. I think they said it changes the encryption key every five seconds. Something about staying ahead of hackers and sophisticated signal disruption. Pretty advanced tech. Cybershop also sold Fiddler a combination jammer spoofer. Sully wrote in his notes that Cybershop guaranteed it would work. Vic paused to think. That must be the remote Sully used to try to take control of the drones, possibly to steal one of them. Obviously, that plan failed. Lara frowned. Or was Fiddler just testing to see if the drones were immune to signal interference? She punched her glove a few times. Okay, Sully confirms that Cybershop, our suspected NSA spy, sold tech to the FBI and to Fiddler? Lara asked, trying to piece it all together. Vic nodded. So if Killerbot is John Fiddler, then who is this Fiddler? Lara asked. I'm not sure yet. I'm still reading through the entries. Sully didn't write any further details about Fiddler in his journal, and it's impossible to find any information online. I may have to break my oath and make a few calls. There has to be another way, Lara said with dramatic flair and a toothy grin. Vic always insisted the internet had all the answers, and he hated talking on the phone. She shook her head and moved on. What else did you find? Shortly before he died, Sully met with a Dr. Anton Stepanov from DARPA. Isn't that the man you met to talk about drone technology? Lara raised her eyebrow. Now that's interesting. Yes, Dr. Stepanov is a colleague of Justine's. Rather gruff and unfriendly. Justine said some negative things about him. He's at the top of her suspect list. Anyone else? Vic nodded. Three days before he died, Sully met with Dr. Margaret Brown at her lab. Wait, that's Bug Lady. She could have could have been having lunch, Lara said, cut him, cutting him off. I was supposed to introduce Maggie to Sully at his party. Maybe since they didn't get time to talk, they set up a date. Anyway, is that it? Vic bobbed his head. At least that's all Sully recorded in the journal in his final days. We have Ashton, Fiddler, Stepanoff, and your friend. Vic paused when Lara furrowed her brow. Of course, he continued, the killer may not even be on this list. Lara rubbed her chin. You're right. Maybe Sully didn't actually meet with the person who injected him. During the Cold War, a Soviet agent stabbed a Bulgarian dissident with an umbrella containing a pellet filled with ricin. To get pricked, Sully just had to come into contact with his killer. It's possible he didn't even notice it when it happened. Vic scrunched his face, turning his head toward the storage room. Lara, do you smell something funny? It smells like something is burning, Lara said with alarm. Do you have anything going in the kitchen? Just the coffee maker, Vic said, walking into the kitchen area to double check. Wait! There's smoke in the hallway. Lara's eyes widened. Where's it coming from? Suddenly a loud bang and the sound of breaking glass came from the storage room. Instinctively, Lara dove for the counter behind the island. Oh my god, there's smoke coming from underneath the door to the storage room. Vic pointed at the crack under the door. 
Quick, grab the extinguisher, Lars shouted, scrambling to her feet and running over to the storage room. When she touched the door handle, she shrieked in pain from the scalding hot metal. She raced back to the kitchen to grab oven mitts from the drawer. She yelled at Vic to unhook the fire extinguisher from the wall. His feet pounded behind her as they ran back down the hallway. Wearing an oven mitt, Lara turned the handle of the door and a thick ball of black smoke barreled out of the room and filled the hallway. Black smoke ate up every inch of air, surrounding them completely. Lara's eyes stung and she reached out to try to find Vic. What's that smell? Lara coughed uncontrollably as acidic smoke rolled into her mouth. Unable to breathe, she dropped to the floor, trying to get away from the cloud of smoke. A few seconds later, she could feel the heat of flames bearing down on her. The fire licked her arm, singeing her skin. She screamed at the pain and scrambled away from the fire. It felt as if someone was sticking her with a hundred needles. She tried to scream again, this time to shout for help, but nothing came out. Her chest tightened, as if there were a ton of bricks pressing on her lungs. A heavy thump came from behind her. At first she thought Vic had collapsed, but then a hand gripped her arm, pulling her away from the door. Lara, the fire's too big. We need to go. Someone shouted in the distance, but Lara couldn't turn her head to move her body to see who it was. Lara, can you hear me? A muffled voice cried out. Lara desperately gasped for air, but could find none. Her head spun and her stomach churned as vertigo took over her senses. She fought against the darkness as her vision continued to blur, but the fight was too hard. The world slipped away. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.